0: I forgot to turn my mic on. So this uh, this whole season um, really represents, in many ways, um, the problem that was evidenced on that video. Is that we live in a pretty broken world, but it wasn't always that way. At least if you uh, really buy the n- narrative that the Bible shares, that we were created. Uh, for, for much better than we're experiencing. But also, um, as a result uh, we, uh, of the life that we live in and our forefathers, we were damaged by evil. And this is a, a season in which there's a, an opportunity to uh, discover uh, the narrative of the Bible as it touches history, uh, it, it is history from the beginning to the end, but but the moment that heaven touches earth in the life of Jesus and and the events around Jesus, um, it, it becomes sort of very crucial, and it, it crucial in the sense that um, next week the resurrection, the, that that piece that I mean all over the world, um, this this simple. Carpenter's son, who claimed to be the son of God. God comes in the flesh to live and die and rise again to conquer death. It's that moment in in history when the Bible really, heaven touches earth, that really displays why, um, at least for myself, uh, that, that I have banked on that being true. That Jesus predicted his death. And he came back to life. And history records that very fact. And as a result, in, instead of the spiritual truths around why we gather on a weekly basis, or we gather and order our lives around this book, uh, are not just some kind of fable or myth, or not some kind of just good intentions, but actual reality. The, the reality that it is true, that there is a God who created us for better, and that he demonstrated what it looked like to be fully human, while at the same time being God. I know that just breaks my mind, too. But... He helped us understand what life was supposed to look like. Or at least the way he created that life to look like. Now what's interesting is that, you know, this is Palm Sunday. I don't know if, I, I grew up with a, a pretty heavy church experience. I mean, I was, I was you know, so churched it's pathetic. Um, and, and so... There, it was, not anymore, but there was a moment in my life when I would have come to a gathering like this on Sunday morning on this date on the calendar and I would have ex- expected someone to give me a palm branch. Any, anybody here? You got, yeah, yeah, okay. Hand them out the door, you know. People coming in, you know. Kids whacking each other with them, you know. And, and 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 uh, you, and if you mess around with them too much, you get those cuts that come off those leaves, those palm frond leaves, and you know it's like, ouch, man, that hurts. But it was a a moment when Jesus basically enters into Jerusalem. It's the last week of his life, uh, typically referred to as Holy Week, um, and it's a week in which it starts with him coming in. Uh, to, to be declared by his followers, and, and there were there were very few. I mean, there were just very few people um, that, that were following Jesus. But he's declared by them as a king, <laughs> and he comes riding on a little donkey. You know, I mean, not a stallion, you know, not a black stallion or a white stallion or, you know, some Arabian, you know, horse with all kinds of muscles and stuff, but 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 a little donkey, and and they're laying these palm fronds down in front as sort of a pathway for him, declaring him to be king. It it really is the counterintuitive nature of the Bible. It's the counterintuitive nature of God helping us understand that it's the humility, not the pride, that wins the day. It's, It's the weakness, actually, that leads to strength. All, all these counterintuitive things, things you think they ought to be this way and they're really that way, come from this book. And it all hinges on the resurrection. It all hinges on it being the right, I mean, the, the, the most uh, pivotal point. The Apostle Paul says in First Corinthians 15, he says, if, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then our faith, our trust in these historical facts are in vain. It's just useless. It's a waste of time here. I mean, you hear some good music, meet some friends and that kind of stuff. But that would be the extent of what our spiritual experience would be unless, unless it would all be true. You see, one of the reasons we do things like the five gears is, is to really take the um, understanding that God created us for better. That, that there is a, a way of living that is actually better because it connects to the creator. It connects back to the person who wrote the how-to manual of life. And as it is it connects back, it also has its sort of validity and foundation in things like the resurrection. Why would we believe it? Why would we do it? Why would we act counterintuitively? Why would we trust against ourselves for something outside ourselves of a wisdom that we haven't yet grabbed a hold of and used in our life? And so we get these uh, five gears, these five ways of, of understanding, or five tools, in a sense, uh, to be able to do life in a better way. I was, uh, I, I have two of my grandchildren this week with me while their parents are off chasing the sun in some foreign land. And, uh, and, and I had my grandson, I think he's, he's eight-ish years old, uh, and uh, And and, and he's a genius. If you didn't know that, you just ask him, and and he would tell you. Um, And and he's driving in my car. I drive a 1996 RAV4. All right? It's a vintage car. Um, uh, First first year that, you know, RAVs were made and that kind of stuff. And uh, and it's got a five-speed. And I was surprised. I mean, I've had this for his entire life but this was the really the first time in his life that he paid attention to how this car moves ahead because he said, what is that? <laughs> Pointing to the gear shift. Why are you doing that? And I said, well, that's so the we way you have to drive this car. He says, our cars don't do that. I said, yeah, you have an automatic transmission. Oh, this must be a really old car. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> And uh, and and so he's asking. He's inquisitive about this, you know, five-speed gear shift that I keep moving around and stuff. He goes, "Man, it, you, you're really busy when you drive." <laughs> I said, "Well, you know, it it helps pay attention. It's safe, you know, to to pay attention and be busy, you know, and and how fast you're going, how slow you're going, when you need to slow down, all that kind of stuff." But he was he was intrigued by the fact that. This car had this thing that moved in it that actually had something to do with it moving ahead, and it's the metaphor we're using, you know, for these five gears. You know, the gear one was was this idea of of a, a relaxing or, or restoring, and it really comes right out of the the creation story. In the beginning, God creates everything, and then and then God, who the Bible paints a picture of God as a limitless person. all right? A limitless person, no limits on his energy, his knowledge, his power, understanding. All, limitless person. But yet when he gets to the sixth day, he decides that He's done, and on the seventh day, it says God rested. He stopped working. He did something different. And so, gear one was this idea do you have in your life a kind of routine that changes pace? And that routine is something that restores you, that that gives you life and gives you back the energy because you and I aren't limitless. We have to own our own humanity, our, our finiteness. We have limits. And so we're limited. And so this, this rhythm of, of understanding of what it looks like to, to restore, and not everybody restores the same. I, I, I would hope that, that we might have caused some discussion between you because there are some of us who restore and, and restoration sort of looks like a couch potato, I mean, you just don't like, you don't want to do anything. You just want to sit and do nothing. And that's okay if you're a, a couch potato type gear one person. That, that's who you are. But others of us aren't couch potato type persons. We restore in a more active way. And oftentimes what happens is, is there becomes a contention between the way we apply these gears to our lives. Sit down, relax. Stop doing things. Well, I relax by doing things. I love a change of pace. My mind doesn't do well when I'm, I'm sitting doing nothing. I'm inquisitive. I love to learn. I love to explore. And so a Sabbath day for me could be finding the end of the Internet. And that's very relaxing to me. I'm, some of you are thinking, wow, you're weird. I'll grant you that. Okay? But, but I, I, I'm different than you are. And so we have to explore our personal ways of understanding what it looks like to find a gear one, to find restoration. If my RAV4 stays in first gear or in fifth gear all the time, it, it's a problem. I mean, it's a real problem. All five of those gears, six actually, reverse, gets used every time I drive that car. And so you as a human being have to have a gear one. Gear two was was connecting, was this idea of having relationships that go beyond the surface, that go beyond the casual. You and I were Made in the image of God, and when we open the books of the Bible in Genesis chapter one, we find that it says, "Let us make man, or humans, in our own image." Let us. There's an allusion there to this God described in the Bible as God Father, God Son, and God Spirit. This idea of a triunity. A tri community that exists. And you and I were made in their image, so we were made to have friends. I mean, not like Facebook friends. No one was made to have Facebook friends, all right? That was Mark Zuckerberg's invention. We were made to have people who, who explore us who discover who we are, we become known by them, and we feel deeply touched and connected as a result of that. Not a lot. I mean, again, this is another thing. Some of us have one of those friends. Some of us have 10 of those friends. It's not about how many you have. It's about the quality of human relationship that you have. And I would just say as a caveat... There are some of you sitting here saying, well, that's my spouse. And I will say that's sad. Because there are things, because God created us as male and female, there are things that men can talk to men about and women can talk to women about that, that don't necessarily feel like that deeply touched moment. You desperately need to relate to people besides your spouse as a connecting moment. Gear two. Gear three was just simply that ability to be casual with people, that ability to be, um, in, in a way, surface level, but, but it provides the opportunity that every human relationship doesn't have to go deep. It just doesn't happen. That's an unrealistic Expectation, And those of us who have that unrealistic expectation, we get stuck in gear two. And we get so sad because every relationship can't go deep. I mean, you, you've got to get out of a Disney movie and get into real life. Every relationship doesn't go deep. And so there is this ability to have casual relationships, to have the kind of conversations that just, just took place here 15, 20 minutes ago. Amongst many of you, it's just that ability to understand what it looks like to meet and greet another human being and relate at a level of a factual level. And it's a healthy thing. It's a real healthy thing. Gear four was productive mode. It's the gear that we have to get into to get things done. And and some of us have a really good gear for. Um, my wife is one of those. <laughs> now you don't have to go narc me out to her. She's not in here right now. Okay. But but she has a really good Gear4 product. I mean, she gets going. We get home this afternoon, we've got a bunch of college kids coming to our house this afternoon. She's making lunch for them and we've got two granddaughters that are going to be there. They're going to experience Gear4 from Candy. Because they're going to be preparing a meal for 12 or 15 college post-college students and uh, and, and it's, it's they're going to get going. And, and it's a really good thing. I I love her Gear4. But if she stays in it too long, it erodes her soul. She needs gear one. She needs gear two. She needs gear three. But we all also need gear four. We need to be productive. We need to know how we can get things done in life. And and, and some of us, you know, um, again, gear four can be, there are some of us that, that like our gear four A through Z we order it you know a or one you know boom 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 and we got to have an order there are others of us our gear four is like we'll start with m and we'll go to b and then we'll jump down to u and then maybe back up to a uh, and, and and we're very more much random in our productivity but but we get we are productive and again we oftentimes have these kinds of personal prejudices. It's kind of an ethnocentrism. I look at the world and I think, I'm normal and you're not. (laughs) And and, and everything is like, I, I normalize everything out of my own experience rather than coming to grips with the fact that God made me unique and he made you unique. And I can appreciate your differences. My wife often tells a story about our oldest son and her painting in our hallway and she starts in the corner and you know, moves from one corner to the next, you know, that kind of stuff. He starts in the middle and he paints and stuff and then he paints to, to one corner and he goes, look! And he has this uh, finish line for himself. I'm done! Well, she knows he's not done and he knows he's not done but he, 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 and so he starts in the middle and goes the other way. And he's got two finish lines. He's got two points of celebration. She only has one. And, and she had to learn to experience that there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that kind of productivity. And that gives us to gear five. Gear five is about flow. It, it's that moment in life when we get to a space where we lose track of time. I don't know if you, you have that in your life. Now, I, I would say that, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, maybe, 14 years ago, however, we're going go back, none of us, I mean, we had less of it. Because just like every gear has its nemesis side, it has its bad side, it's, it's weaponization that gets bad. Gear five has that too, that flow. Because some of us get into flow with our thumbs, or maybe it's our fingers. You know what I'm talking about, right? Just scrolling through that Facebook feed or that Snapchat feed or that TikTok feed, just scrolling, 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 you know, your Insta account, boom, 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 and you you lose track of time. I, I would tend to say that that's probably not the flow I'm talking about, all right? Or the flow when you've got Endless ESPN going. Unless it's March Madness. Um, <laughs> and then that's okay. Because if you hadn't seen Caitlin Clark play basketball, you should watch the Iowa LSU game today. I'm telling you, it is an experience. Um, but unless I digress here. Um, flow is about finding those kinds of moments when when you lose track of time and you're so absorbed in what you're doing, it's so enjoyable, it's so restoring, it's so uh, refreshing that that you just lose track of it. I I would tend to say that that there is a flow that is absolutely necessary for every one of us. And, And that is oftentimes, and maybe you're not like me, but I can tend to lead a very distracted life a very shiny, object-driven life. And, and, and this ability to focus can really get lost in my life. Back a few years ago, someone wrote a contract and sent it to me and said, hey, we'll give you uh, X amount of dollars if you'll give us 60,000 words in a book. Never written a book before. No idea how to write a book. And so there was a moment in my life where I found flow for about six weeks where I said to myself, you're going to sit your butt in that seat and you're not going to answer your phone. You're not going to return an email. You're not going to read a text until you produce 2,000 words every day. And I did. I surprised the heck out of myself. I mean, blew me away and... If, you know, some of you read Spent Matches, it's out there for sale. Um, I, I can guarantee you that the first chapter will put you to sleep. But, but it's possible for someone who's shiny object-oriented to really focus and gain flow in their life. I, I just want to maybe hammer down on one piece of flow today. Uh, there's this passage in Psalms. Uh, Psalms 46.10, it says, Be still and know that I'm God. There's been nothing in my life that has taught me more about the idea of God and taking the immaterial, that which I can't touch and see and feel, and making it material, that which I can really feel, than silence, than quietness than focused meditation. I I would tend to say that if you could pick up one thing from flow, and some of you have this already in your life, but but others of us don't, and and, and that is to find a a, a moment in every day where you're quiet for five minutes, for 10 minutes, for 15 minutes, and your focus is on God. God. I think that's why he gave us the Bible. That's why he calls it his word. It's this ability to to read a verse in the Bible or a short passage in the Bible and to recount it over and over in your mind and ask yourself, what is God saying to me? What is he saying to me through this? And then what am I going to do about it? How am I going to put this into practice? How am I going to live this out today, you know, that, that kind of, of moment of flow where I get lost in being still and knowing that there's a God in heaven, that it's not just a, something I do on Sunday, it's not just a religious ritual that I come to, but it's, it's really a real thing. And it really, heaven does come to earth in tangible ways. And so I find myself reading things like Lamentations 3, where it says, Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great, great is your faithfulness. Recounting things like that from the Bible. In a, in a moment in the day, maybe you're a morning person and so you, it, it starts before you get started. Or maybe you're an evening person and so you find that time in the evening. Or maybe you're a middle of the day person and, and you find it at a lunch hour or something where you just pause and you create flow in your life. You create this moment of limited distractions and you just focus on God. And you have this ability to lose track of time and let heaven speak to you. That's the beauty of flow. And and, and I'll, I'll just... Go out on a limb here and say that, you know, if that can't happen in your life, then that you're doomed to a kind of spiritual life that's a sixteenth of an inch deep. It may be 16 miles wide, it may be, you know, and maybe a lot, of, but it, it's thin. And when life comes crashing down, that thinness gets damaged, but when we can find spaces for flow in our life, when we make time to experience being still and knowing that there is a God, knowing it by the way we organize our time, knowing it by the way we organize our space, I find a quiet space, a space where I won't be distracted or interrupted. Knowing it where I organize my mental capacities where I focus in on the fact that there is a God in heaven and he wants to be my father. He wants me to be his child. He has been about collecting a family from the moment he has let himself be known in human history and he wants me to be one of them. And my father wants to spend time with me. He wants that space, he wants that attention so that he can help me understand the life that I have always wanted to live. The life that comes out of being created in his image. The life that wants to come out of me, but yet there seems to be barriers Keeping it from happening. You know, the beauty of what God is doing in building a family is about infecting you and I with His love. That that last phrase in that video uh, that uh, we are unknowingly transformed by His grace unknowingly transformed by his grace when we begin to order our lives to to be still to find flow to understand who God is and and what happens when he gets space in our lives we get transformed things start to happen we 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 love our spouses in in ways that we never thought possible before we we do things that are out of character for us because our old character was such that it was sort of self-driven rather than other-centered. And all of a sudden, we begin to see things change that we never thought possible because there is a power that's coming from outside to us. That's what Jesus intended. That's what he was, he was all about, is, is gathering a family to himself and in committing those family members to the family business you know the family business of finding our not yet brothers and sisters and helping them understand what it would look like to discover their father in heaven because the spiritual reality of the bible is that we live in a world that's lost now that that word is interesting because Um, you know, I don't think any of us likes being lost, right? You know, it's, I had someone ask me the other day, how did you ever get along in a world without GPS? How did you find places with just a map? And it's like, wow. I don't know. No no one likes to be lost. But, but, but lost is, is this idea of, of when something is lost, it's like um, there, was a, there was a prior possession of it. You can't lose something you never owned, right? When it's lost, it, it's like I used to have it, I used to know where it's at, and now it's lost. And that's, that's what Jesus is communicating in Luke 15 when he talks about the lost son, the lost coin, the lost sheep. It's like, All of of humanity was created in the image of God. And they have the great privilege of becoming children of the Father. And yet, so very few choose to make that happen. And he's created you and I as the, the avenue, the means by which that takes place. When people experience the kinds of transformation that's happening in our lives... When we have friends who have opportunity to have access to the story of our lives, all of a sudden, it intrigues them to be on the same journey that we're on. I mean, it's exactly why we built this place you call Shoal Creek. We we built it so that we would have this opportunity to make Jesus accessible to the Northland. Now, I know that in some ways he's accessible, but the fact is, is that there has been so much noise in the channel for what people think of as who God and Jesus and the Bible are, and unfortunately, it happens to be people who tend to call themselves Christians, and there's been a lot of damage. And so the... The need for a new and a fresh expression of what does it look like to make Jesus accessible to people. It starts by we stop telling them things and start inviting people to explore with us what it looks like. Get them to open up the Bible themselves and read for themselves, hear from God, not from me, but to hear from God and let Him speak to them. And when He speaks, it's amazing. They tend to listen. When they feel a voice from heaven, something radical happens. This next week is, is really one of those pivotal weeks. We are living in a world desperate for hope. Desperate for hope. We're. We, we we, we can't turn on any kind of, of media w- without hearing the kinds of division and vitriolic language that comes as a result of the political situation that we find ourselves in. The economic swings that come back and forth. The wars over gender issues just are just heating up all the time. And there's desperate nature in most individuals to find a space for hope. And that's why we designed next week around this idea of hope. And, and our hope is, is that you would become a part with us in that. So I want to finish today by showing you the explainer video that we developed back just as COVID hit, actually. It seems amazing. Um, and and could, I just, could I just make an announcement this morning? COVID's over. Are we done? Are we done? I made a commitment to myself this week to stop living in a post-COVID world. It was an event. It happened, you know. I mean, President Kennedy was shot, for those of you who were alive during that time, you know. The Apollo thing or, you know, the, the thing that blew up, the spaceship blew up, you know. It, it, it happened, you know. Uh, it, all, all these things happen, but, but they don't have to go on impacting us. And so we, we have a dream for you and I. And that dream is found in this little two-minute and
1: 30-second video. The fear and discord that is driving us to lives of isolation. Some even say we're experiencing a loneliness epidemic. Our search to find connection and meaning are broken. God didn't leave us here to feel so empty and alone, so he made a way back to the life we were created for. Jesus left heaven for earth. Our mission is to make Jesus accessible, a real relationship with God, not just as creator, but as father. This requires a community where authenticity is normal, not the exception, where you can come as you are, not what people think you ought to be. Since Jesus predicted his death and resurrection and pulled it off, we obey him. And since he gave away his life, he invites us in bringing heaven to earth. How do we do this? We follow Jesus. We get our fingerprints on the Bible to develop a face to face relationship with God. We give away the life that Jesus is giving to us. We invite our friends into the journey that we've begun with Jesus. A journey of trust, moving from earner to heir. A journey of obedience, moving from self hearted to soft hearted. A journey of sharing, moving from receiver to giver. A journey of relating moving from isolation to community with our fellow travelers. A journey of serving, moving from a consumer to producer as co-creators in God's work. A journey of giving, moving from charitable to extravagant with the resources God has given us. A journey of discipling, moving from traveler to guide in relationship to those where we live, learn, work, and play. This is The Discipled Life a life that restores the broken world we live in, calms our fears, and settles the anxieties that grip us. It builds connections and forms communities where we can belong just as God intended. It is the life that brings heaven to earth. Making Jesus accessible starts a rebuilding process that heals people, creating connected communities where the redeeming power of Jesus moves through our relationships, remaking our broken world. Join us as we live to make Jesus accessible.
0: Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, you have been faithful over the last 20 plus years in allowing us to exist in this world under that banner to survive uh, all kinds of, of tragedy that's come our way but um, this strategy doesn't depend on this kind of stuff me and people that are about to sing and it really is dependent on everyone sitting in a seat or a table out there it's dependent on us finding space to focus to to have that flow in our lives that ability to give you space to listen to you to be transformed by you and then to share that life with those around us to invite them on the journey with us Father we would confess that Some of us have just been consumers in this room. And we need to make that move from consumer to producer. That we need to make some invitations this week to friends, relatives, workmates, even strangers to join us on this journey. Father, there are many of us that feel inadequate We're waiting for the moment when our lives measure up. Relieve us from that myth, Father. We will never measure up. In your eyes, Jesus measured up for us. And as a result, we can live free and forgiven and seeking forgiveness on a regular basis. We can use the spiritual technologies of confession and repentance on a regular basis to understand what it's like to be sinful people in this world, and yet at the same time, to be contagious with a kind of faith, with a kind of trust, with a kind of perspective in life that connects with not just our creator, but with our Father in heaven. So thank you for the privilege of the discipled life, a life that just simply says, I'm gonna follow Jesus and I'm gonna be committed to to learning obedience to everything that he's ever taught. Father, give us, give us the kind of courage the kind of trust that we need to get on that track. We pray these things in our our risen Savior's name, Jesus.